Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Sean McGill. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. While you're standing, I'm going to read our text before you have a seat, Psalm 24 7. I'm reading from the message version, a paraphrase. It says, Wake up, you sleepy headed city. Wake up, you sleepy head city. Anybody need to wake up on a fall day today? Wake up, you sleepy head people. In case you didn't feel like you were a part of the city, he just pers- wake up, people. Why? Because the King of Glory. Can you see it behind me? The King of Glory. You can. The King of Glory is ready, the Bible says, to do what? Ready to enter. I just want to proclaim today, wake up, you sleepy people. If you are sleepy, turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, wake up. The King of Glory. The King of all kings. The king that spoke the whole earth into existence. He is ready. He's ready to enter. He's been ready to enter then. He is ready to enter now. He is ready to enter. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. Anyone, anyone that lets me in. Oh, I'm ready to dine with you. get our text today from 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's an old story. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, about 30,000 of them. And he and all of his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by name, the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart, a little bit of a mistake there, and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart. The presence was supposed to go first, but anyways, with the ark of God on it, Ohio was, or Ahio was walking in front of it. And David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. With consonants, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals, all the instruments. They were worshiping. When they came to a threshing floor of Nacon, and Uzzah reached out and took a hold of the ark because the oxen had stumbled. So the ark of God was on a cart being carried by oxen and they hit a pothole and it stumbled and the Bible says that Uzzah reached out and touched the ark. He took hold of the ark and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down. He wasn't playing and he died just like that beside the ark. And David, he was angry and the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. And David was not only angry, but afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David or Jerusalem. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom. Everybody say Obed-Edom. 
Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, 90 days. The Bible says the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything that he has, not just the house, but everything he has because, because of the ark of God. And so David went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David rejoicing. Let me pray for you. If I'm going to title my message today, the title would be this, open the door. Open the door. Father, today we open the door and we say, King of glory, come in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Bria. Well, to understand this story and to understand the ark Uh, you've got to understand God's presence. And so I know God's presence uh, can be maybe a confusing thing uh, if you've grown up in church for a while or can also be a confusing thing uh, if you're new to church, understanding it in its full entirety. But when we look at the Bible, we see uh, his presence in different ways. And when you think of the Ark of the Covenant here or the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant was the manifest presence of God that was present in what was called the tabernacle. Now, before I talk about the manifest presence of God, I'm just gonna give you some some Bible today, some history, is that okay? I wanna talk about the omnipresence of God. This is the presence of God that most of us know. See, God is omnipresent. That means that he is everywhere. It's the omnipresence of God. When you went to Starbucks this morning, guess what? God was there. When you're at your job, God is there. No matter where you go, there's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. There's no place on earth that you can go to that God is not there. But how many of you know sometimes you've walked into a place before and you've thought, well, God surely isn't in that place. Well, that doesn't mean that he wasn't in that place, right? He is omnipresent. He is everywhere, and so to say that means you didn't feel God in that place. Like he was there, he was omnipresent, but maybe you didn't feel God in that place when you walked in there. It didn't seem as if God's glory was in that place. He is omnipresent, though. He is everywhere. There is no place that God's spirit cannot be. David said this in Psalm 139, verse 7. He said, I can never escape. I love that. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, guess what? David realized you're there. But even if I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of morning, when everything is going good on the wings of morning, you are there. But also if I dwell by the furthest oceans, you are there. Even there, he says, your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. God is everywhere. There's no place you can run. There's no place you can hide. You can never play hide and go seek with God. He knows right where you are because he is everywhere. You can hide from him, but he knows where you are. And just in case you thought God was ever hiding from you, he hasn't. 
He's always there even if you don't sense him or feel him. God's presence is everywhere. And David knew this beautiful thing about the omnipresence of God, that his presence is everywhere. There was no place that I could go that his presence was not. And so God is omnipresent. Not only is he omnipresent, but when you think about his spirit, there's also the indwelling of your spirit. We've been talking a lot over the last few weeks about the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Holy Spirit indwells within us. On the book of Acts, what you saw, you said, hey, Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8 that there was a power that was going to come upon them. Earlier when he breathed on them, uh, right before he was you know, taken away, went to heaven, he said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to wait until you're clothed with power. There was something that was going to come in the book of Acts that would be an indwelling of the Spirit. That God's present isn't, presence isn't just everywhere, but God's presence is also in you. When you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwelled within you. You received the Holy Spirit. And so there's the indwelling of the Spirit. And so you've got God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. You've got the indwelling of the Spirit that He is in you. And then you have the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence is something that occurs in our lives where He chooses to reveal Himself. The manifest presence of God is simply put, if you're taking notes, the made known presence of God. It's the presence of God that you feel when you walk into a room and you're like, man, I just feel something different on that. There was a glory in there. There was a weight in there. There was something different about that place. It's the, it's the presence of God that some of you felt a moment ago when you lifted up your hands and you began to worship him and something in your spirit came alive. Something in your spirit, man, as you started singing, Jesus be the center of my life. It just came alive and you begin to feel something. It's the made known presence of God, the glory of God. And the king of glory is always ready to enter. The king of glory is always knocking at your door. See, he lives in you, yes, but I have learned in my walk with God that there is a deeper, more intimate dimension that sometimes that we can go to where God's presence is a little more tangible, where his presence is a little more that you can experience. It's, it's when you worship him and you feel him. It's when you, you, you are in the midst of tragedy and you begin to receive comfort. Anybody ever been there? You just had a bad day and you called on the name of Jesus and comfort rushed to you. Peace rushed to you. It was that answered prayer that you received and you experienced just the manifest presence of God. It's experienced in changed lives. It's experienced in miracles. It, it brings tears to you. It'll, it'll put you on your knees. It's, it's this weight. It's this glory from heaven where it's just God's spirit that is everywhere and that is in you made known to you. Where you're like, man, I just know that I've encountered God in that moment. Mark chapter 8, we see a woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years she had struggled and Jesus is walking by and she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that when, when she touched him, he stopped amongst all the crowd and he said, who, who touched me? Who, 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 who touched me? 
It was in that moment that, that, that what she was about to feel is, is, is the Spirit of God coming to heal. She touched him, and when she touched him, everything changed. There are moments in our life, I can promise you, that, that if you'll reach out and you'll grab for him, you will, experience, you will stop him. Your faith, it's in that moment, it was her faith. That stopped him. It's the manifest presence of God that you feel when your faith sinks up with him. And, and in that moment, you just know God is more than just the God of the universe, but he is real to me. It's in the book of Acts in Pentecost when, 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 when the, the whole upper room began to experience the manifest, the made known presence of God. And I would say this, that in our world, we need the manifest presence of God. You need the manifest presence of God in your life. You need moments and encounters where you just know that you know that you know, I met with Jesus. God touched me in that moment. God did something supernatural in that moment. I can't tell you how many times in my life where I found myself in prayer, whether it's at, you know, down on my knees at my office or in our home or driving down the road and tears begin to stream down my face. And right there in my car, I felt a presence. I felt a weight. I felt a glory come into the car and I began to weep and I just knew God touched me in that moment. God changed me in that moment. Our world needs moments like that where we encounter God. It's not begging God for something. No, it's activating it's activating the thing that's in you and saying, you are there. I'm opening the door and letting you in. But I'm not going to walk through life asleep, but I'm going to let the king of glory in. I love the Lord's presence. You should learn to love the Lord's presence. It's available to you. It matters. It can change you. It can bring miracles to you. God's presence, it's, it's so good. And in the Old Testament, we see his presence resting on the Ark of the Covenant. See, the Ark of the Covenant was not a symbol of an omnipresent God, but rather the manifest presence of God. In Exodus 25, 8, he said that God, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And so in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the way that they experienced God in this moment is Moses would be a part of building what was called the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle was the holies of holies. And inside the holies of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant would be the manifest presence of God that in Exodus 25, 22, he said this, There I will meet with you. See, the Ark of Covenant was this constant reminder that the manifest presence of God, the made known presence of God was available and there for people to experience. It would be so thick that it would be described as a cloud, this, 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 this weight that was in there that was undeniable. The Ark, if you know much about it, it was made of, of acacia wood. It was covered with precious gold both within and on the outside. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was placed what was called the mercy seat. And on that mercy seat attached to it were two 
cherubims. You're like, what is a cherubim? Well, they were just winged angels facing each other, covering this mercy seat, looking down on it. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were three things that, that testified of God and three things that represented, in a sense, Israel's rebellion. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. It was the Ten Commandments that were in there. It was Aaron's rod that budded, a rod that was a stick, basically, that was not in the dirt and suddenly began to bud some, some flowers, some green on it, Aaron's rod that budded, representing the authority of God, representing uh, the, the leadership in the moment. Also inside the ark was a golden urn or pot of manna. Manna would be the thing that the Israelites would call, what is it? <laughs> uh, it was just from heaven. It was this, this substance that while they were out in the desert and they were wondering and they had no food, God was giving them from heaven daily provisions called manna. It was just showing up every day and uh, in all of these, there was a lot of complaining and murmuring going on. And so these things would serve as a reminder of a God that, that is in control and a God that is, that is with you. It would be the Ten Commandments that ultimately would testify of the law and its promises and protections. It was the golden pot of manna, all this in Hebrews 9, chapter 4, uh, that testified of his provisions and blessings. Aaron's rod that budded, that testified of his authority and his leadership. And so you have the, the Ark of the Covenant, you have, you know, this golden box, and then on the outside of it would have been four golden rings with two poles that went between them. These golden rings and golden poles were meant to be the primary uh, method of transportation for the Ark. So you would take the priests, the Levites, and they would pick up the ark, and the presence would always move. The ark of the covenant would be the thing that, that went first, and they would carry it on their shoulders. They would, they would pick it up, and they would, they would grab it from the poles, and that would be how the ark was transported. But again, it was the presence of God, and it was holy, so it could not be touched. It could not be, you know, reached out outside the poles and just picked up, but it had to be carried a certain way. And so that was God's design for, for the ark. And so each of them represented a pole that rested on someone's shoulders where, where they would begin to move that ark. And so that's kind of where we pick up our story today when, when we talk about the ark of God or the ark of covenant. Just a little bit of context about that. And let me take you back just a few years earlier to before we get to Obed-Edom and his house. During the time of Eli... Um, uh, Eli, uh, the, the, the Philistines, and I know, you'll have to read your Bible. If you want, just go through uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. I can't give you all the context. But during the time of Eli, the Philistines captured the ark, mostly because of Eli's wicked sons. He had two sons, Hoph, uh, Hophnius and Phinehas, or uh, is that Hophni and Phinehas? Am I saying that right, Mr. Uh, Old Testament there, Jay? You're shaking your head. Hophni and Phinehas. And his wicked sons decide they're going to use the ark really to military aid to their advantage. And so that's not how the ark was uh, designed to be used. And so ultimately the ark is captured and uh, the sons die. It's such a big deal that actually the men run back to Eli and they're like, hey, Eli, the ark has been captured. The Philistines have it. Eli, who's been, you know, housing the ark of God in this moment, I mean, he is so distraught that the Bible says this, that upon hearing that the ark was captured, Captured, he fell backwards in his chair, broke his neck, and died. Crazy. 
I mean, he was so distraught in that moment that the dude just croaked over dead. I mean, he was old, but nevertheless, I don't know if he was just like leaning back in his chair and it was a moment, or it was just like he could not believe. How could we let something so precious? How could we let something that matters so much get out of our sight? How could we turn this thing over to, to, to an evil people? And so the dude croaks, and then it's put into a temple, um, and it's the temple of, so the Philistines, they take it to a temple, and it's put into the temple of Dagon. And so within this temple is this statue. I'm just giving you a lot because I think the context is going to help you understand this story. And in the statue is the statue of Dagon. And so they put the Ark of the Covenant in next to him. And um, they wake up the next day. And the statue is, is fell down. And it is bowing before the Ark of the Covenant. And its head and its hands have been broken off. I mean, God don't play. Just saying there is no other gods before me. There is none higher than me. And so the presence of God in that moment, I mean, a golden statue would bow down. I can't but help but to think that, that, that God is just saying, hey, my, my presence, my presence is such a powerful thing. You ain't messing with this. And so it's in Dagon, and so the Philistines, they're scared to death, as you would be afterwards too. We're like, how in the world did this happen? Did somebody sneak in here? I mean, they knew that God had done something. And so uh, nevertheless, God ends up cursing the Philistines, and 50,000 men died. That's a bad day if you are a Philistine. And under Saul's rule, the ark is taken to the house of Abinadab. Everybody say Abinadab. These Old Testament stories, they got some interesting names in them, don't they? So it's taken to the house of Abinadad, and it stays there for at least the next 20 years. Abinadad has two sons, his two sons, Uzzah and Ahio. And so here the two sons have been guarding the ark. Saul passes away, David becomes king, and it's in this moment where David, who is obsessed with the presence of God, David, who knows it is the presence of God that has made me who I am. It is the presence of God and his anointing that I need in my life. It is God's presence that has done everything that I've been able to see in my natural. Every victory has been because of his presence. Every moment, every temptation, all that, it's been because his presence is with me. And so he's like, we got to go get the ark. It can't stay there anymore, but I'm going, I'm taking back the city of David. I'm ruling from Jerusalem, and the ark is going to go with me. Because I know his presence matters. I ain't ruling from anywhere his presence is not. And so they go to Abinadab's house. They get the ark and his boys come with them. They put the ark on a new cart and they begin carrying it on an ark. Remember, how is the ark supposed to be carried? Well, it wasn't supposed to be carried on a, on a cart. It was supposed to be carried on some shoulders. And so here this cart is, and that's where we pick up our story today. It's trucking along the road. And uh, the, the cows that are carrying it, the oxen or whatever they are, uh, what, did, what did the Bible say? They were oxen. The oxens that are carrying them, they stumble. They stumble and they hit a pothole. And what does Uzzah do? He reaches out and grabs the ark. Now, what were you not supposed to do? Don't touch it. You will die. And zap, he did. He died because he wasn't honoring the presence of God, the way it needed to be honored, there was clear instructions. And so he reaches out, he touches it, and he dies. And David is, one, he's mad and angry. He's like, what in the world do I do now? 
Not only is he mad and angry, he is scared, the Bible says. He's fearful, like, I, 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 I was just trying to bring God's presence with me. I'm just trying to go do what I know is right. And here I am, and the ark has just killed somebody. We got to go figure this out. And so I don't know if he, like, gathers all of his men. He's like, hey, bro, we better go research how we're supposed to do this thing and move this thing. Because obviously something is wrong here. So I don't know if he goes to get a game plan together or what. But before he goes to get his game plan Together, we see him knock at the door of a guy named Obed-Edom. I want you to think about this. He's in great fear. He's in great anger. And he knocks at the door of a guy, a Levite from Gath. I don't know what Obed-Edom's doing. Maybe he's just chilling. He's sitting at home, he's watching, he's, you know, he's a farmer, I guess, you know, living in the middle of nowhere. And the door knocks, and maybe before the door, you know, has been knocked on, he hears the marching of 30,000 troops outside his house. He knows something is up, and there's a knock at his door, and he opens the door. Everyone say he opens the door. He opens the door and there is David. Crown, full military attire, a look of anger and fear and shock all on his face. And Obed-Edom's, I can only imagine how he feels in that moment. Like this is the king standing in front of me. What, What does he have for me? And behind him, I just want you to picture this. I mean, this is is the imagery in the Bible. It's so beautiful. He opens the door. There the king is. Hey, Obed, what's up? Is that the ark? Yeah, it's the ark. What's it doing here? Doesn't belong here. Well, what had happened was... um, so, like, we didn't do it the right way, and uh, anyway, somebody just died, and so here it is. Man, I don't want that thing. Get that thing out of my house. I don't want to die. But here it is. 30,000 troops behind him. The king standing at his door. The Ark of the Covenant, which represents the manifest presence of God, the thing that only the priest would get to visit once a year in the holies of holies is now standing at his door. Can't even imagine that moment. We don't have all the details. We don't know exactly what the conversation went like. All we know is there was an incident and now the king is dropping this ark off. At Obed-Edom's house. How long is he going to keep it? I don't know. We don't know the details. I'm not sure if David was like, hey, just keep it for an hour or two. got to clean this mess up outside. I don't know if he was like, hey, you can have it. It stayed in Abinadab's house for 20 years. I'm going to let it stay at your house for another 20 years until we figure this thing out. Because God is obviously still mad at us. I don't know how the conversation went down or what kind of details he was given. But what we do know is Obed-Edom opened the door. And the Bible says and in our text today that in 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 11 that the ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom for 3 months. 
three months. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant. This golden box with angels on it. What you know is the mercy seat that they're staring down on. The thing that you had heard about. The thing in which your grandparents told you stories about. Here it is in his living room. Because I'm assuming if he had two stories, he wouldn't have wanted to carry that thing up. And he probably wasn't going to touch it. So you know most people's living rooms are first thing in. So I'm just assuming it was in the living room because they're like, I'm not, you know how you're trying to move a couch out sometime? And, you know, you're all up on that couch. I'm sure it was hard to move this ark in there. So I'm sure they just picked it up, dropped it off right there. Here it is, put it in your living room. And so it's in his living room. I want you to imagine the 90 days of the presence of God in his living room. I can only imagine how, how he would, you know, walk down the stairs or walk down the hall or maybe it was all one room. He'd wake up and he'd see the ark sitting there. The thing that was reserved only for some to see and experience every once in a while is now in his living room. And he can encounter it every day. I can only imagine him getting close to the ark, thinking, I ain't going to touch this thing. And getting on his face, saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for all you've done in my family. I can imagine him calling over his sons, telling his sons, this is the ark. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's God's presence made known to us. Calling his wife, gathering them around. Maybe they had prayer meetings around the ark. Maybe they had moments where they did nothing but just sit and stare at its beauty. But it must have been a focal point. It must have been something that they valued. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse number 11, it says, The Lord blessed him and his entire household. If you read over in the parallel in 1 Chronicles 13, we get another little tidbit from the story. It says, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. So it not only blessed his entire household, his wife, his kids, himself, but it blessed everything he had. What blessed everything he had? What blessed him? Well, word gets back to David and it says this in verse number 12. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the entire household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. How was Obed-Edom blessed? How was his entire household and everything he had blessed? It was the ark of God. It was the manifest presence of God in this dude's living room. That blessed their house. 90 days and his entire life has changed. 90 days and everything about his family is blessed. 
90 days and his crops are blessed. 90 days and his finance are blessed. 90 days and his family is blessed. 90 days and his relationships are blessed. 90 days with the presence of God in his living room. Blessed. Two things that I want to point out today to you that I think this story represents and by way of application, two things that I want to invite you to do today. I'm going to set it up with just reminding you what I remind you at the beginning. We need, you need the presence of God in your life. Not just the omnipresent. He is everywhere. But you need the made known presence of God in your life. On a daily basis. I would say that you need God to show up in your life on a daily basis. See, we don't just need it in here on a Sunday morning. But we need it in our homes. I felt like through reading this this week, what God was showing me. Is, is a challenge for our church to take the presence of God that we feel on a Sunday mornings from the sanctuary to the home. From the sanctuary to the home. You need the presence of God in your home. You need to feel the presence of God in your home. There's this phrase, home is where the heart is. You ever heard it? Something special about a home. After a long trip, you can't wait to get home. It may be, you know, a holiday where you get in the car and you go visit a mom or dad and you just can't wait to be home. And while home is where the heart is, isn't there some times in your life where you feel like your home has lost its heart? You walk in and the heart that was once there just feels like it no longer is. Maybe there's not joy that was once there in it anymore. Maybe there's tension between you and your spouse. Maybe you have children that are, I don't know, they're questioning their faith. It just feels like the heart isn't in your home anymore. It just feels like your home that was once a place of peace is now a place of stress. In fact, at nighttime when you go to lay your head on the pillow, there is no peace. It's just anxiousness. It's worry. Your finances are in disarray. Your relationships are in disarray. Chaos is all around you. You come in on a Sunday morning and you feel God's presence and God does something in your life and you leave motivated only to wait again until next Sunday to feel the same thing. And sometimes what you get on a Sunday, it's just not enough to make you through Monday through Friday because life happens. And and you get you leak. <laughs> your job stresses you, a boss yells at you and it's like you just leak a little bit 
And what you were full of on Sunday, you're empty on Wednesday. And it's just like, okay, let me, let me wait till I can get in the presence of God again. But I wanted to challenge our church today with this. What would it look like if you took 90 days to allow the presence of God to be in your living room? I think he's knocking. The king of glory is saying, I'm ready to enter in. Every morning when you wake up, he's ready to enter in that bedroom. He's ready to enter in that conversation at the dinner table. He's ready to enter in that moment where you're disciplining your child. Will you let him in? Two things that I see Obed-Edom doing. Number one is he opened the door. I want to challenge you when you go home tomorrow to open the door to the presence of God in your home. He could have been too busy to open the door. He could have, you know, turned him away, but he opened the door. He invited the presence of God in his home. He welcomed it in. Number two, you know, we don't read that as the ark said in Abinadab's house that his whole household was blessed and his sons, maybe they were. But we almost get the picture that it had just been kind of sitting there as, as maybe a, a relic, but not truly treasured for what it was. But it's obvious in these 90 days that Obed-Edom was blessed, and I can only think it was because he made it a focal point of his home. And so number one, I want to encourage you to open the door, but number two, I want to encourage you to allow the presence of God to be the focal point of your home. How do you do that? Well, think about what was in the ark. Think about the Ten Commandments and the manna and Aaron's rod. I can't th help but to think about the manna that represented provision and blessings. I think one of the ways you make Jesus the focal point of your home and his presence is through thanksgiving. Wake up every day and be thankful for him. Fill your house with thanksgiving and praise, knowing that he is the God that provides all your needs. He gave you breath in your lungs today. He put that food on your table. You'd make it the focal point of your house through praise and thanksgiving. You'd worship him. Aaron's rod that budded representing leadership and authority and those that ultimately complained against it, that your home would be a safe place where Jesus would be at the center as ultimate authority in your home. And not only that, but you would be careful how you dishonor the authority that God has put in your life in your home. Where there is honor, God commands in unity, the Bible says, unity. He commands a blessing. I think we've got to learn to be in unity with God's people and the people that God's put around us. And 
Think about the Ten Commandments, the law, which Jesus didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, that brought protection and, you know, ultimately blessings. I can't help but to think that the scriptures need to be a part of our lives. And so I think you have to open the door to his presence in your home. And then I think you have to make the things of God the focal point. I just wonder what it would look like if families took the next 90 days to let the king of glory in. To let the made known presence of God enter in. See, Jesus became our high priest. Because of the work of the cross and what Jesus did, we're no longer relegated to being able to experience him in an object, but we can experience him every day by simply calling upon the name of the Lord. See, we are now priests. First Peter, is it chapter two, verses nine? Through Christ, you are a royal priesthood. We are now the priests that have access through Jesus and through his shed blood to encounter his presence on a daily basis basis. That's why Hebrews 10, 19 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence, we can enter into the holy place. Your living room can be the holies of holies. Your living room can be a place where the presence of God is valued above all else. See, the presence of God changed his life so much and I close with this. The presence of God changed his life so much that even though he was blessed, I mean, his whole family was blessed. It said all that he had was blessed. He could have just received that blessing and went on with his life. I mean, it would be like winning the lottery. Like, I got all I need. I'm good now. But he didn't. He actually joined the worship team. You find him in the next few moments playing worship as the ark enters into Jerusalem. And David would dance. And the ark would enter back into the city of David. And then long term, you read in the book of Chronicles that he became a gatekeeper and a doorkeeper to the ark. Meaning he valued his presence so much, he packed up his whole family and said, we're going where that goes, we're not letting it out of our sight. We'll hold on to it. Our family ain't letting go of this. Our family's gonna, gonna experience this and be around this and, and believe in this and experience this. He could have just stayed with all of his blessings, but the blessings of God and the presence of God was so much better than any earthly blessing that he followed it and became a doorkeeper and a gatekeeper. In other words, he was right there by the presence for the rest of his life. And the Bible says that all 62 of his descendants, guess what? They too stayed around it. In other words, it didn't just bless him by welcoming it into his home. You have no idea that your decision today to invite the presence of God in your home may affect your kids and your grandkids and your grandkids' grandkids where they live off of this oil, this anointing, this, this presence that is there because you made it a focal point of your home.
And so, here's what I want to ask you to do today as I close. And I know I went a few minutes longer. But if you're in here today and you would say, you know what? I'll join with that commitment. For the next 90 days, I'll make the presence of God the focal point of my home. I'll open the door. Like if you really were, if you really, really, really would do that. Not just like I'll think about it. But if you're thinking, you know what, that's us. We need to do that. I want to invite you to stand right now just as a, a sign of commitment. That I'm going to make the presence of God a focal point in my home. If your spouse is around you, I want you to grab their hand. If your kids are around you, I want you to grab their hand. Jennifer, come up here. That together as a family, that we would make a commitment today to allow the presence of God to be in our home, to be the focal point of our home, that God would bless our families. Maybe you're in here and you're the only one in your family serving Jesus. You have no idea what your, your willingness to go home and to fill your home with the presence of God can do. You've been waiting for them to step into a church when maybe what they needed is just the presence in their home. And it could be that thing that changes everything. Your ability to invite the presence of God into your home every day. You turn on the worship music. You talk about God. You'd welcome Him into every heartache and every frustration and every worry. He would be the solution to every problem. What if 90 days could change your home? What if 90 days could change the rest of your life? All because you opened the door. So I want to ask Jennifer to pray over our families. I'm going to ask her to pray over each of you guys today that your homes would be full of the Holy Spirit. That when people walk into your homes, they would feel something different. Man, I want somebody from work to walk into your home and say, this place feels different. There's a peace on this place. There's a touch on this home doesn't feel like what I normally feel. So, babe, would you pray over our families? God, right now, we thank you for the privilege it is to carry your presence, to carry it with us, God. And so we open the door to our homes right now. I pray over this church that every family, every single person, every person that has stood up and said, I want this to be a part of my life, that my home would be a welcome place for your manifest presence to dwell. God, I just speak life over every home, Lord, where there has been tension 
there would be peace, God. Where there has been anxiety, there would be peace, God. Where there has been division and brokenness, God, we pray wholeness. God, where there has been sickness, we pray healing, God. And we thank you, Jesus, in advance. We thank you in advance for what is going to happen in each and every one of these homes represented, God, that we would be a light, God, that your glory would shine through our homes and it would shine through our lives. And so, God, we just give you, Lord, it's not about us. It's not about making our names famous, God, but it's your name, King of heaven, that Jesus' name would be made famous through our homes. And so, God, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise, God, and we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you are going to do in our homes, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. And if the church says amen, amen, amen. Hey, come on, let's worship him if you receive that. Come on, you can do better than that. Let's worship him if you receive that. Father, we thank you. Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.